Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olivest. Today we're going to discuss an essential text from the middle of the 19th century, the transcript of a speech delivered at the Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio in 1851. The speech is entitled, Ain't I a Woman? And it was delivered by the great abolitionist and women's rights activist, Sojourner Truth. But before we dive into the speech, I'd like to introduce my reading partner for this episode, Raina Clay McKay. Hi, Raina. Hi, Amy. It's so great to have you with us today. I'm so excited. We have this uh, magnificent text to talk about. And I'm wondering, Raina, would you, we have quite, I want to talk about Sojourner Truth. So I'm wondering, will you take the first half and then I'll take the second half? Sure. So Sojourner Truth was born as Isabella Bomfrey, and she was known as Belle. She was one of either 10 or 12 children born to James and Elizabeth Bomfrey. A man named Charles Hardenberg bought James and Elizabeth from slave traders and then kept their family at his estate in a beautiful big hilly area called the Dutch name Swartekill. And I may pronounce that wrong. I'm so sorry. In the town of Esopus, New York, 95 miles north of New York City. Um, Mr. Hardenberg inherited his father's estate and continued to enslave people as part of that estate's property. Um, when he died in 1806, nine-year-old Bell was sold at an auction with a flock of sheep for $100 to John Neely. Until that time, she spoke only Dutch. Uh, she later described Neely as cruel and harsh, relating to how he beat her daily, often because she did not understand English. Um, in 1808, Neely sold her for $105 to a tavern keeper named Martimus uh, Shriver of Port Ewan, New York, who owned her for another year and a half. Uh, Shriver then sold her in 1810 to John Dumont of West Park, New York. Um, interestingly enough, I've lost track of how many times she was sold. Yeah, me too. Yeah. John Dumont frequently uh, raped his enslaved women. And for that reason, there was considerable tension between Isabella and Dumont's wife, Elizabeth Waring Dumont, who harassed her and made her life um, much more difficult. Around 1815, um, Belle met and fell in love with an enslaved man named Robert from a neighboring farm. Robert's owner was Charles Catton, and he forbade their relationship. He did not want the people he enslaved to have children with people he was not enslaving because back then um, it was a law that he would not own the children. Um, they belonged to the uh, slave owner of the mother. Okay. So one day Robert sneaked over to see her. When Catton and his son found him, they savagely beat him until Dumont finally intervened. Isabella never saw Robert again after that day, and he died a few years later. The experience haunted her throughout her life. Uh, she eventually married an older enslaved man named Thomas, um, after which she bore five children. James, who died in childhood. Diana, who was the result of a rape by her slave master. And then Peter, Elizabeth, and Sophia. Um, in 1799, the state of New York began to legislate uh, the ab abolition of slavery, although the process of emancipating those people enslaved in New York was not complete until July 4th, interesting, <laughs> of mm -hmm. 1827. Wow. Uh huh. Dumont had promised to grant Bell her freedom a year before the state emancipation, quote, if she would do well and be faithful, unquote. However, as usual, he changed his mind, claiming a hand injury had made her less productive. She was infuriated, but continued working. Um, she could spin up to 100 pounds of wool uh, to satisfy her sense of obligation to him. Hmm. 
Late in 1826, she escaped to freedom with her infant daughter, Sophia. She had to leave her other children behind because they were not legally freed in the emancipation order until they had served as bound servants into their 20s. (sighs) Anyhow, she later said, quote, I did not run off for I thought that wicked, but I walked off believing that to be all right, unquote. Okay, so I'll pick up mm-hmm. the story where she so so she walks away yep. from that situation with her baby daughter leaving her other children. Um, she found her way to the home of Isaac and Maria Van Wagenen, who took her and her baby in. Isaac contacted Dumont, the man who had formerly owned her and offered to buy her services for the remainder of the year. And Dumont accepted that offer for $20. So she was essentially purchased out of enslavement. Mm-hmm. And then she lived with the Van Wagenens until the New-, the New York State Emancipation Act was approved a year later. And then she was officially free. Mm-hmm. So um, at that point, Isabella learned that her son, Peter, then five years old, had been sold illegally by Dumont to an owner in Alabama. Um, with the help of the Van Wagenens, she took the issue to court And in 1828, after months of legal proceedings, she got back her son, and she learned that he had been abused by those who were enslaving him. It's awful. So I just can't even process what that must have felt like for her. But I I can't imagine. My boys just turned six, so I just had until a week ago five-year-old boys, and just to think of them being abused and sold is just, I can't understand that as a mother, like that. Anyway, that goes to the deep, dark recesses of my soul that I don't even want to touch, you know? No, yeah. I can't even imagine right yeah. now. Um, what a majestic woman, though, that she... Oh, my gosh. That she... I mean, all of us would have... You would just suffer in unspeakable ways knowing that, but the fact that she was able to take that man to court... Isn't and, that amazing? And get, right? Yeah, yeah, that she was empowered enough to say, this is not right, and I'm going to fight this. Yeah. And she she became one of the first Black women to go to court against a white man and win the case. I know. She Yes, after she rescued her son, mm-hmm. um, won the court case and rescued her son, she was staying with the Van Wagenens, and she had a, re- a life-changing religious experience and became a devout Christian. So in 1829, she moved with her son, Peter, to New York City, where she worked as a housekeeper for a Christian evangelist. And she became really involved in religious life and participated in lots of different congregations. And she gained a reputation of being a great preacher and a singer. So the next year, 1843, was a turning point for Isabella. She became a Methodist. um, So I guess that would mean that she committed to a particular denomination of Mm -hmm. Christianity. Yeah. Um, And then, so on June 1st, which was Pentecost Sunday, Mm -hmm. she changed her name, which I just love the power of renaming yourself, right? And she named herself Sojourner Truth. She chose the name because she heard the Spirit of God calling on her to preach the truth. And Sojourner, of course, is someone who is like a wanderer or an adventurer, someone who goes on a quest or a journey, right? Mm -hmm. So she told her friends, uh, quote, the spirit calls me and I must go, quote, and and left to make her way traveling and preaching about the abolition of slavery. 
Taking only a few possessions in a pillowcase, she traveled north, working her way up through the Connecticut River Valley towards Massachusetts. And then in 1844, another kind of pivotal moment in her life was that she made it to Florence, Massachusetts, and she worked in a community overseeing the laundry, supervising both men and women, which I think was very rare at the time in in any workplace. Um, And while there, she met famous activists. So up in Massachusetts, we have at this time um, William Lloyd Garrison and Frederick Douglass, the two luminaries and the two probably the biggest names in the abolitionist movement. Mm -hmm. And this uh, community encouraged her. They saw, I think, her potential as a speaker, and she delivered her first anti-slavery speech that year in Massachusetts. And this is also a powerful moment. She started dictating her memoirs, so telling her story. Of course, she she was not literate. Um, she wouldn't have been taught to read as a yeah. child. And so she dictated her memoirs to her friend, Olive Gilbert. And in 1850, William Lloyd Garrison privately published her book, The Narrative of Sojourner Truth, A Northern Slave. That same year, she purchased a home in Florence for $300. And she spoke at the first National Women's Rights Convention in Worcester, Massachusetts. And in 1854... She used the proceeds from the sales of her narrative and paid off the mortgage on her home and owned it outright. I am so jealous. Incredible. What a woman. Mm-hmm. So th- so coming, this is where we're approaching the moment that she delivered this, fav- this famous speech that we're going to talk about today. So in 1851, Truth joined a lecture tour through New York State. In May, she attended the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio, And that is where she delivered her famous speech on women's rights, later known as Ain't I a Woman. So this was a a spontaneous speech at the convention. She hadn't planned it. And of course, she wouldn't have written any notes out. um, But she stood up and delivered this at the moment. So um, as I was preparing for this episode, I remembered, as I thought about Ain't I a Woman before I actually listened to it, I thought, I think I remember reading someone, a historian who had pointed out, wait a second, she was from New York. Exactly. She would not have used the word Never ain't. Said it. Never. Right? Yeah. So, at all. Right. Mm-hmm. So we, so Raina, why don't you take it away? Because we, um, I looked at this and I'm sure you knew this prior to this, but I, it took this project for me to learn more about this. But if you can tell us more about the the versions of the speech and kind of how that evolved. Sure, absolutely. So I think most people are familiar, most familiar with the popular version that's from 1863 okay. of um, her famous Ain't I a Woman speech, but they have no idea that this popular version, while it is based off of her original 1851 speech, is not exact, is not her speech and is vastly mm-hmm. different from the original one. Um, Nell Irvin Painter, a professor at Princeton University who specializes in American history and is notable for her works on Southern history of the 19th century. Um, She was the scholar who first rang the bell on this historical mistake. So Mm -hmm. the popular but inaccurate version was written and published in 1863, so 12 years after she gave her original speech, by a white abolitionist named Frances Dana Barker Gage. Curiously, she not only changed all of Sojourner's words, but embellished facts about her life. So she represented um, Sojourner Truth as having 13 children instead of five and chose to represent Sojourner um, speaking in a stereotypical, quote, Southern Black slave accent, unquote, rather than in her distinct upper New York State low Dutch accent, which is very, Mm -hmm. if you've heard that accent, it's Mm -hmm. very crisp and very proper. 
So mm-hmm. I find it very interesting that she was almost demoted in a way to yeah. a, um, even though she was illiterate, she did she wouldn't have sounded that way. Right, Does that make right. sense? Yeah. So she English... was demoted in a way to that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I was just going to say too, that English was her second language. So right. she would have had a Dutch accent of yeah. some Sort, Which would have right? been like it, so cool to hear, huh? Yeah, exactly. I don't <laughs> yeah. even know how to imagine it. I no, I can't either. Um, uh, so Gage's actions were well intended, and they served the suffrage and women's rights movement at the time. But by today's standards of ethical journalism, her actions were, as we can know, a gross misrepresentation of truth, words, and identity. Um, by changing her words and her dialect to that of a stereotypical Southern slave, Frances Gage effectively erased her. Dutch heritage and her authentic voice, as well as unintentionally adding to the oversimplification of the American slave culture and furthering the eradication of our nation's northern slave history, like we talked about earlier. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. Frances Gage admitted that her amended version had given but a faint sketch of Sojourner's original speech, but she felt justified and believed her version was stronger and more palatable. Interesting. Even back mm-hmm. then, we had to be palatable to the American public, right? than Sojourner's original version. The most authentic version of Sojourner's Truth, Ain't I a Woman's Speech was first published in 1851 by her good friend, the Reverend Marius Robinson in the Anti-Slavery Bugle and was titled, quote, On Women's Rights, which I find very interesting. Um, Completely Mm -hmm. different connotation if you think about the title, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, Robinson had been in attendance for true speech, and he wrote his recollection of her words immediately afterwards. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that would have been, I, I mean, as a historian, right, which document do you trust more? One that was written immediately after the event or one that was written, what, how later. long? Well, yes, 12, 12 years, years later, later. right? Years I later. mean, so right now in the, the program, because the speech is so short, actually, we're going to play um, one speech and then the other speech. Um, so you can hear her actual, what what we believe is closest to her actual words in her actual accent. And then we'll hear the what we think of now, what historians believe is an inaccurate rending, rendering mm-hmm. of truth speech. Um, but the one that is much, much more famous and actually carries the title, Ain't I a Woman, right? right. So we'll listen to both speeches. May I say a few words? I want to say a few words about this matter. I am a woman's right. I have as much muscle as any man and I can do as much work as any man. I have plowed and reaped and husked and chopped and mowed. And can any man do better than that? I have heard much about the sexes being equal. I can carry as much as any man, and I can eat as much too, if I can get it. I am as strong as any man that is today. As for intellect, all I can say is, if a woman have a pint and a man a quart, why can't she have her little pint full? You need not be afraid to give us our rights for fear we will take too much, for we can't take much more than our pint will hold. The poor men seem to be all in confusion, and they don't know what to do. 
white children. If you have woman's rights, give it to her and you will feel better. You have your own rights and there will be so much trouble. I can't read, but I can hear. And I have heard the Bible and learned that Eve caused man to sin. But if woman upset the world to give her a chance to set it right side up again. The lady has spoken about Jesus, how he never spurned woman from him, and she was right. When Lazarus died, Mary and Martha came to him with faith and love and besought him to raise their brother. And Jesus wept, and Lazarus came forth. And how came Jesus into the world? Through God who created him and woman who bore him. Man, where is your part? But women are coming up. Blessed be God and a few of the men are coming up with him. But man is in a tight place. The poor slave is on him. The women are coming on him. And he is surely between a hawk and a buzzard. Wow. So that was, again, um, the version of Sojourner Truth's speech that was written down by her friend, Reverend Marius Robinson, who was there at the event, heard her speak, and wrote down his best recollection of what she had said right after the event, and then published it in the Anti-Slavery Bugle, and the title was On Woman's Rights. Um, the next version of the speech we're going to hear is the version that Francis Gage wrote down 12 years after the event. And it should be noted, it's really worth looking online to see um, the transcription because Gage again, not only takes liberties with the content of what Truth um, had spoken and wouldn't have known, actually, wouldn't have been able to remember what she said, but also really writes out a very stylized representation of what the Southern um, enslaved people's dialect sounded like to Gage. Um, very, very stylized. Carrie Washington, the American actress Carrie Washington, is going to uh, perform this more well-known speech. This is the one everybody knows and reads, and this was titled Ain't I a Woman? I should note also, I'm sorry I didn't say, the previous actress who performed um, the original speech uh, is a, a Dutch actress of color who whose name is S.T. So that was the one we just heard. And now we're going to hear Carrie Washington performing Francis Gage's version of the speech, Ain't I a Woman? Well, children, where there is so much racket, there must be something out of kilter. I think that twixt the Negroes of the South and the women at the North all talking about rights, the white man gonna be in a fix pretty soon. <laughs> but what's all this here talking about? That man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Nobody ever helps me into carriages <laughs> or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. And ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed 
and planted and gathered into barns, and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as any man when I could get it. And I could bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children, seen most sold off into slavery. And when I cried out with a mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? And they talk about this thing in the head. What is it they call it? Oh, that's, that's right, yeah, intellect. <laughs> that's it, honey. Well, what's that got to do with women's rights and Negroes' rights? If my cup won't hold but a pint and your holds a quart, wouldn't you be mean not to let me have my little half measure full? That man in the back there, he says, women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Well, where did your Christ come from? Where did your Christ come from? He came from God and a woman. Man didn't have nothing to do with it. woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, well, these women here together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And they asking to do it. The men better let them. So, Raina, what are some things that strike you as we think about these issues and, and as we just listen to these uh, two different versions of the speech? So, I think it is amazing regardless of the, I should say, let me say this. I think the message is amazing regardless mm-hmm. of which version of the speech we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I have a automatic bristling at mm-hmm. the changes that Gage made to her speech mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, as I said before, it takes somebody who had powerful words that were beautifully spoken and mm-hmm. reduces her down to sounding like an illiterate backwoods child. Mm-hmm. And I understand um, the reasons why Gage did it, because she mm-hmm. needed to have a caricature of mm-hmm. somebody in order to get her point across. And during that time, that seems to have been more palatable to the American mm-hmm. public, to the suffrage unit, blah, blah, blah. I can understand why white women were, um, while they were struggling to gain equality, they needed to make somebody else sound less than them mm-hmm. in order to boost themselves up to mm-hmm. say, look, we deserve equality, but it's okay. There's still other people who are, you know, not as educated as we are and not as smart and not as whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there is a tactic behind that too. Yeah. It's so patronizing, right? For yes. her to think that she has the right to yes. to change someone else's, um, yeah. to change them in any way at all right. to her own yep. use. You see it day in and day out we expect our black athletes to act a certain way and speak a certain way and when you get intelligent conversations and thoughtful peaceful protests like Kaepernick or something like that right such a visceral reaction of the majority which honestly they aren't honestly white male 
are not the majority, but we consider them that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's such a visceral reaction to it because it does not fit into the stereotypical trope that they expect right. somebody to right. be in. So it, 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 is, it just permeates society. We all yeah. live in it. Like we were saying earlier, we swim in this murky waters mm-hmm. you know we swim in these murky waters all the time so yeah I'm yeah. not I'm not surprised that she did it I want to give her that grace even though it is truly blatantly patronizing racist yeah. etc yeah. the way it was but she was trying and you know you've got to give her some grace in that way I do think though that um she was trying as a means to whatever her end was yeah you know yeah that's right yeah. she was doing the best she knew at the time uh-huh. I, I suppose yep. which is an, an explanation even if it's not really an excuse I guess but it Absolutely. is an explanation of where she was in her head at uh-huh. the time right yeah. well anything else what are, any um thoughts or takeaways or a summary to to wrap up Raina um I think that like we had said earlier, she needs to come from the blue margins and be mm-hmm. front and center in history, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. with where we are in our current state of affairs and with trying to break that glass ceiling for women. I think that this is probably one of the best rallying calls, most concise rallying calls I've heard. We are just mm-hmm. as capable. We are just as an intellectual and mm-hmm. we are bring a different set of values to the table than men do Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that can be um that can be a bonus that can be a benefit Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I love how she acknowledges that men might feel vulnerable right now and that was back Mm -hmm. in 1850 and Mm -hmm. I think the same Mm -hmm. thing stands true 170 years later did I do my math right yes (laughs) (laughs) right Mm -hmm. that men are feeling very vulnerable right now Right. Mm-hmm. It's, and yeah. I think that there is something to be said from her approach to how yeah. she gave this speech. Right. Let's take Gage's interpretation of it out of it. Her original mm-hmm. speech, as much as we know that it's original, mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is she read her audience well. And I mm-hmm. think that there's a lot to be um, said for that. I think that's yeah. what promotes discourse and dialogue. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Um, yeah, such a great example in that way. Mm-hmm. And I love, you know, I thought, um, as you mentioned, the her talking about men feeling vulnerable and in a confusion, I thought about at the and in the same speech that she talks about how she has um, done farm work and that she can lift as much as men and that she eats as much as a man. And she's like, put carbs you know, in front of me and I'll do it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. But I love that. That's that really, I think both are true. Cause as you just said, women, quote unquote women, right? Like in general, bring a, can bring a certain set of traits mm-hmm. and that's true. And at the same time, she's really, calling into question those really rigid gender roles that say men are a certain way, right? Because she's calling, not calling out, but she's acknowledging men's vulnerability, which is not a typical male trait. And she's highlighting her own physical strength and her robustness. I think she was like six feet tall. Yeah, from she's what I understand, she was quite an imposing woman. I think that's the yes. word that for it is a description for her. Yeah. Yeah. And she had to do, I mean, she could, she was saying like, I'm as strong as a man is. Um, and, and yet I'm a woman too. She just has so much. Um, I think she's bringing so many things that people thought of as conflicting and not able to coexist yep. into the same very short speech, yep. um, which is pretty revolutionary for the time and even still relevant today. So that was maybe 
I guess that would be my big takeaway if you said what what was a takeaway from today, and especially in context of last um, the the previous episode with Seneca Falls at Seneca Falls, which was right before this speech, it was there were hints of what was going to go awry within the suffrage movement, where white women would would split off. When I guess, like I alluded to before, they didn't have a concept of when they said women, what they meant was white women. Oh yeah, and Absolutely. and then for some people, um, when they said black people or African-Americans, what they meant was African-American men. And, and the ones that always got left behind were the African-American women. And so for her to stand up in that audience and kind of say to the men, Mm -hmm. guess what? Like I'm African-American too. And to the, and I am a woman too. Acknowledge my existence. Yeah. yeah, so, so, so powerful. Mm-hmm. Can I end with a quote too, Raina? Sure. There's, this isn't from the speech, obviously, because we uh-huh. just listened to the speech, but I just wanted to read this quote. It says, there's a great stir about colored men getting their rights, but not a word about the colored women. And if colored men get their rights and not colored women theirs, you see the colored men will be masters over the women and it will be just as bad as it was before. I really, truly think that this quote is the whole crux of the matter. We've allowed society to develop into a system where we just have haves and have nots. And whether it be in terms of rights, access, treatment, gender, sexuality, any of those things, we have found a way to make sure that there is always a portion of society that is othered. Right? Mm -hmm. And so... If you don't have somebody who's oppressed, then an oppressor does not exist. Going Mm. all the way back to our Mm -hmm. id once again, Mm -hmm. right? The feeling Mm -hmm. of the need to be better than. And Mm -hmm. so um, I think it's it's scary in a way, but at least if we acknowledge it, we can dismantle it. It's true. We We can do it. It's just, it's... It's work and it is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And but worth it and essential yep. if to create the kind of world we all want to live in, Absolutely. right? That's fair for everyone. Well, Raina Clay McKay, <laughs> thank you so much for being here and discussing this text with me. This has just been a joy. It has been delightful. Uh, my absolute pleasure. I can't wait to do it again. <laughs>